0: Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion of how grandparents can help. Um, when we left off, I started talking about how grandparents are so valuable, how they help in these separate situations, how they help in general. I could not the Wilsons could not get through life without our grandparents. Um, financially though, a lot of parents are very much dependent upon their grandparents to help. And but there's a certain way they need to do that and not do that. Um, Most of the time, when we left off before the break, we were talking about resources because most of the time when when the grandparent gives money to the child, uh, it is going to be counted as a resource, and it's going to hurt their financial aid. Usually another situation that I see, uh, the grandparent will give money directly to the university, and this is is generally at the suggestion of their advisors. Uh, There's an estate planning reason for that. Um, a little bit beyond the scope of this, um, this show, but what, what they're really talking what they're trying to do is reduce the size of someone's estate uh, by allowing, because the, the IRS allows you to give money directly to a university and not be limited. Uh, there's an annual amount that we're able to give uh, that's limited by the IRS, and there's an exception to that, and the exception is if you pay the university directly. So a lot of advisors will tell the grandparents, especially those with a large estate, to give that money directly to the university. The problem with that is when they do that it's going to be considered a resource. It's going to dollar for dollar reduce their financial need. Dollar for dollar reduce their aid. So how can grandparents help? Well, in general what I tell parents is that if there is a strong need for financial aid You need to um, maximize the resources that are out there. Tell the grandparents to hold on to it. Um, Because what most likely will happen is that as they go through the financial aid process, they're going to have loans. That means they're going to have some grants, but they're also going to have loans. Let the grandparents pay off those loans after school. So let them go through the process because the financial aid process is an annual process. Starts when the child is before the child goes off to college, but it happens every year. Every year it looks back two years. So until they get to the second semester of their junior year, they're still going to be filing annual renewals for financial aid. That is the point in which a parent, a grandparent, could help out. They could pay off the student loans and so forth. So that usually is, uh, I certainly don't want to discourage any grandparent from helping. But in a situation where we need to maximize financial aid the best situation generally is to wait wait until the end of college um, pay off the student loans and so forth um, so let's move on i want to finish out the section today just talking about continuing a discussion of assets in general uh, and this is going to lead into some planning ideas that you can use to maximize the aid Uh, for your child and what's important for you to understand is when with respect to assets what counts for financial aid what what doesn't count for financial aid because there is different treatment of assets and so one of the planning maneuvers is that you move assets between these different things some things count some things don't count because that allows you to maximize the aid the time the assets that you have at the time in which you apply is what the, financial, uh, the what the FAFSA requires. So these are planning maneuvers that you would do before you sign the application because it's whatever assets you have at time of application. But several there's several things that are going on here. One is that there's a, there's a great treatment between a difference in treatment, between an asset that's owned by a child versus an asset that's owned by a parent. And let me just illustrate. Suppose that you have a $40,000 asset that's owned by a child. Typically we see this, this is actually a lot of times where the grandparent comes in and they they set up an UGMA, what we call UGMA, UGMA, it's a uniform gift to minor. And we set up these accounts in their name, we might set up, sometimes I see grandparents giving stock to their kids every year for Christmas, grandkids every year for Christmas, something along those, those lines. But what happens is when you have an asset that's owned by a child, it's counted about four times more for the financial aid process than an asset that's owned by a parent. So if you had a $40,000 asset in a parent's name, for example, about $2,000 of that would be considered... For the expected family contribution, so of forty thousand dollars, only two thousand of it is counted towards your ability to pay for college. Now, if that child is in, if that asset's in the child's name, eight thousand dollars is counted. It's four times as much, and the thought process is is the government recognizes that an asset that a parent has isn't just only going to be used for college. They've got other reasons to use those assets, other needs. So only a portion of those assets are used for college. But in contrast, for the student, all of that money can be used for college. I mean, what else are they going to use it for? To buy games? So the first planning situation that goes on is by making sure that we remove these assets from the child's name. And we can do that by moving those assets to an excluded asset, and just hold that thought for a minute and I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, The other other problem that I run into with people filling out these applications is as far as what the value of their home is. In general, the, the value of your primary residence is excluded as an asset for the financial aid purposes, but some colleges will want to include it, particularly private and more expensive schools. Now, on the applications, you have to put down the fair market value of the home. That is defined as what you would sell for, what you would sell it for today, not necessarily what you would like to sell it for, but what you could sell it for today. You know, a lot of people overstate the value of their homes on these financial aid applications and render themselves ineligible for financial aid because of that. Now, the final thing that I want to cover as far as assets is what is an excluded asset. Uh, there's basically two different category, three different categories of excluded assets. One I just mentioned, and that was the house. The other two are retirement plans and, and cash value insurance. Retirement plans and cash value insurance. According to the rules of the FAFSA, um, the value of a of retirement plans, IRAs, SEPs, and so forth, are not included in the process. Those are excluded assets. So the value of those things do not go into the equation about whether or not you can contribute money to your child's um, to, to your child's college and so forth. Um, same is true for cash value insurance as well. That is, that's is an excluded asset. So it's not one of the assets that is put on the application. Now, the reason why that's important is because you have an opportunity to move assets from included assets to excluded assets by using taking advantage of these retirement plans or cash value insurance. And let me preface this by saying, and I'll close out this uh, this section today with this, I really need you to listen to me very carefully. Um, Over the years, I've run into an awful lot of people that convince parents that they need to move assets to these excluded assets so they can receive more money, and and that is true. You do have the ability of moving uh, these excluded assets to assets that are not included. The problem is that that the insurance guys use this as a way to sell their insurance. So the type of asset you move it to, it needs to have a very specific characteristic. So for example, if you have a brokerage account with Fidelity, and you might have a $100,000 brokerage account with Fidelity, you can actually move that account to either a cash value insurance policy or an annuity for retirement and have that excluded. And by excluding that, you will increase the amount of aid uh, that you would receive uh, under the finan- FAFSA process. The problem is that you need to do this with, with the right type of asset. This is not a situation that you can go to your regular insurance guy and find the right types of products to do this. The excluded assets have got to fit a certain criteria. And in general, what that's going to mean is that there's no fees, there's no commissions. Um, Moving your assets to something that's excluded is a good idea in general, but it has to be done with the right types of products. It has to be done with the right types of insurance and annuities. They have to have the certain characteristics. They cannot be loaded, they cannot have fees, they cannot have surrender charges. And by having those three characteristics it's going to mean that about 99.9% of companies out there are not going to be able to provide you with this type of product. Uh, it's going to have to be someone like Schwab, someone like Fidelity, someone like Vanguard, someone that's, that's geared towards this, this non-loaded, no fee, low fee, uh, no surrender charge type situation. That is the only example of products that, would, that that this idea will work. If you take your assets and you move them to an excluded asset, into insurance, into annuities, into these various things, temporary, you need to be able to do it temporarily. You need to be able to move it back without cost. You need to be able to move it back without any kind of real penalty. And that is not going to exist if you go down the road to your Merrill Lynch uh, representative. This is not the type of product that's going to be, there's going to be commissions paid. It's not the type of product that you're going to want to see loads. You're not going to want to see any kind of fees. You're not going to want to have any surrender charges, which are very typical for the different brokerage companies. You know, when you move money to these types of products, you're going to have to leave it there. That's not, those are not the situations that I want you to look at for this. It has to be a situation that you can move back and forth freely and that's going to generally be a no-loaded situation, like you will see in like a mutual fund, a no-loaded mutual fund, um, where you can move back and forth. It's generally not going to have a representative involved. Um, it's going to have to be a fee-only advisor if there is a representative involved. This is going to be, have to be something that you deal with them or do it. Excuse me, do it directly with the companies. But it's extremely important for you to understand that because over the years – I've heard an awful lot of insurance guys and brokers uh, talking about this and talking about moving moving money away from included assets to excluded assets. And it's a good idea. The problem is they do it with the companies. There's usually a big commission involved. There's surrender charges involved, and it backfires. And it has to have these characteristics for you to look at this. It just does not make any sense otherwise unless they have these characteristics. You know, one thing that could change is the rules could change. You know, if you did move your assets to an annuity or an insurance, uh, cash value insurance, that may change the rules. And you may just want to turn around, and um, because of that, it's not really an advantage. You may want to turn around and move it back. You need to be able to do that without any kind of disadvantage. And the disadvantage is going to be fees loads charges for moving it so it has to have those characteristics or it's just not a, it's just a terrible idea and that and then again is going to include about 99 percent of the company exclude excuse me it's going to exclude about 99 percent of the companies that are out there um, so be careful on that if you have further questions feel free to call me at the office and I'll be happy to answer anything that you have. But that pretty much wraps up this discussion of college, ways that you can, uh, you can decrease your cost for college. And just in a quick summary, the biggest thing you can do is select a lot of different colleges, different kinds of colleges, have a cross-section of different financial aid packages, different resources that are available to you, Uh, You can create that competition. You can negotiate with them. You can create a competition between them. And then you can also look at moving these excluded, moving assets into excluded assets uh, that will increase your uh, eligibility for financial aid to begin with. And I hope that was been helpful. And this wraps up today's session.